pastors here. And I'm excited for today because we're continuing in our series called Deserted Island Reading. So if you've not been with us at Shiloh before, we're in this series, Deserted Island Reading. Let me explain it for you. If you ask a believer, hey, you're going to be deserted on this island. You're going to be shipwrecked. There's only one book you can bring. What book would you want to bring? Most believers would say, I'd bring the Bible. All right, so then if you said, all right, out of all the books of the Bible, if you could only bring one book, which book out of the Bible would you bring? They'd likely tell you Romans. That's, that's the most popular answer. And then if there's only one chapter, which chapter would it be? And many would say Romans 12. So we've been in a series on Romans 12, uh, spending now, I think this is our fourth week uh, in, in terms of going through the, the, the chapter itself. And you know what? It's, it's, been, a, it's been an awesome time. We're learning and we're able to dig deeper into to what, what God has for us. Uh, last week, Nate brought a message that was um, on Romans 12, 3 through 8, and it's talking about who we are in God's eyes. This morning, we're going to be talking about relationships, and in those relationships, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to have authentic community. So for those of us that attended the Harvest Fest yesterday, hopefully you felt like we were a community, right? And, and I was here at 6 in the morning you know, people don't just come out at 6 in the morning because they, they feel like it. You, you're committed, like you're, you're there, you're engaged, and it was a wonderful time of just people serving with other people and, and us serving the community. And it was, it was a great time for us, you know, even as, even as we're here at 6 in the morning, we're starting to make some noise, but it's dark at 6, right? So you see the lights start to go on in the apartment building across the street from us. <laughs> I've seen people poke their heads out like, what are they doing, those crazy believers over there? Like, why are they there? But, you know, then uh, all the tents start getting set up, and, and uh, they could all come and enjoy lunch. So it was, it was a good day. Well, this morning, we're talking about authentic community. We're talking about what that looks like. And we're going to look at that in Romans 12, 9 through 13. Those are the verses we're, we're uh, focusing on this morning. So I'm going to read it first from the NIV and then from the New Living. And I'm using the two translations kind of as we go through interchangeably. So that's why I'm going to read from both. So let's start Romans 12, 9 through 13 from New International. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, if we can read it again in the New Living, it says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always eager to practice hospitality. Father God, we come to you this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. And, and Lord, I pray as, as we get into these verses in, in Romans 12, that your spirit would just open them up to us, God. I pray that you speak to each one of our hearts. God, we, we open up our hearts and we open up our minds for your spirit to work in us. Lord, we don't want to just academically look at your word. God, we want to understand it in our hearts and we want to be transformed as, as our minds are renewed. And we pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen. So if I could start off with a summary of these verses, I would say this to you in one phrase. It's the real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. 
And I'm going to show you as we walk through the, the time this morning from each verse, we're going to kind of understand that. But let me just say it again. The real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. So we'll start off here in verse 9 where it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Now, why would, why would someone tell you, don't pretend to love someone, really love them? You know, my thinking is, well, maybe in the church, there was some pretending going on, right? Where people are kind of faking it until they make it, right? And, and if Paul is saying that to the Roman church, I think he could probably say it to us today. Hey, guys, don't just pretend to love the people that you're sitting next to. Like, really love, really love them. So there's something that I, I notice in just that phrase, don't just pretend, really love them, that there's an, authentic, there's an authenticity that God has, right? So, so when I come to church, it's not about, okay, what am I doing when I get here? It's about, all right, I'm coming, and it's my relationship with Jesus Christ is why I'm coming. And I'm coming to share that love with my brothers and sisters and to receive that love with my brothers and sisters. But if I'm coming just to be loved, then, all right, am I pretending right? What, what am I coming here for? What am I here for? And if I want to be authentic, this is what I know about how to be authentic. I can only be authentic starting first in my relationship with Christ. I can't love you until I can understand and receive Christ's love in my own heart. Because, you know, the real thing is that if you're waiting for Greg Vicaro to love you, I'm going to love you imperfectly, and I'm going to love you in, in ways that there's gaps, and you're going to likely be disappointed somewhere along the way. But to the degree that Greg Vaccaro can get the love of Jesus inside of him, then maybe I can do more than what I could have done in, in the first place. And you're going to see God's love through me. That's the goal for all of us as we come together in the body of Christ. So it's meant for us to be an overflow of who God is, not for us just to work harder in our own strength or, or you know what, I'm just going to be more intentional. No, it's, it's got to come from my heart. It's got to come from what God is doing in my heart. And you'll know if, you're, if you've been at Shallow that we're a small group church, meaning that, that we're a church that small groups is at our core. So we've got different meetings throughout the week about uh, that we get together and we, we just do life together. So if you're not involved in a small group, I'd love to invite you to one. You can find our small groups at shilohweb.com. But even when you come to a small group, it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be authentic community. Right? And, and here's why. I, I go to a small group every week. I lead one in my home. And this is what I'll find sometimes, that, you know, we're going around and uh, we're asking for prayer requests. And, and I'm not judging anyone else. I'm speaking for myself. I'm like, should I share my real prayer request or should I share the one that's safe? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Where you're like, oh, I just don't really want to get into the situation and I got to give the backstory. And no, I'm just going to ask for prayer for my mother's brother's aunt's uncle's cousin, you know? And and that'll be safe instead of having to tell them about me and something that's going on in my life. It's going to be interesting when we ask for prayer this week. I'm going to be like, okay, is this a safe prayer request or is this the real prayer request? Get ready, my small group. I'm coming for you. And you can come for me too. It's fair game. So what does it look like to be authentic? Don't pretend. God doesn't want us to pretend. You know, and, and when I look at authentic community and we talk about the real the real us needing to show up. There's an example of this in Acts, and it's in Acts 5, 1 through 11. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of backstory. In Acts, the early church was going through a lot of growth, 
And as they were going through that growth, their financial needs were increasing as well. But a lot of the new people that were coming to the church, they were the slaves that were hearing about Jesus. They were the lower income people. So they couldn't necessarily contribute. So what was happening at that time, believers that, that had extra property or extra homes, they were selling their second home and bringing the entire proceeds to the church. Now, I think that's a great model we should practice here today. Don't you think? Anybody got a lake house? You could just sell it and then bring that. No, I'm just kidding. Invite me to your lake house. It'll make it all better. Um, but that's what they were doing. They were selling property. And, and in Acts 4, we read about this man named Barnabas who sold his property on the island of Patmos. I, you know, it's an island. Maybe it went for a lot. But he brings all the proceeds to, to the disciples, and, and that's how they're ministering. So there was this other couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they needed to sell, or they wanted to sell a piece of property, but they thought, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to give all of the money to the Lord, so let's agree together, we're just going to say we sold it for half of what we sold it for, and we'll give that half to God, and we'll keep the other half for ourselves. Now, there was nothing in that day that said you had to do this. It was, people wanted to do it. So they didn't have to pretend. They, they could have just been who they were and said, we sold it for 100000 and we're giving you 50000 and everyone would have loved them for it. But they decided to have this pretend game on and, and this deception. So they did it. And God revealed it to the apostle. And the apostle, you know, Ananias comes before him and he goes, Ananias, how much did you sell the land for? And Ananias, I'm just making the number up. He goes, I sold it for 50000 He's like, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Here's men coming to the door right now. They're going to take you out and bury you. And boom, Ananias falls over dead. It's like, wow, that's not a way to win friends and influence people, is it? You know? So after that, his wife comes not knowing anything of what had happened, that her husband has, has just died. And the apostle asks, Sapphira, Sapphira, how much did you sell the property for? And she goes, $50,000. He's like, why did you and your husband agree together to lie to the Holy Spirit? Look, here's the feet of the men coming that have just buried your husband, and they're going to bury you too. And Sapphira falls down dead. Now, let me ask you, is that a church you want to be going to where people just start dropping down dead, right? But that's the crazy thing that was happening in the early church. Why? Why was that happening? Because God knew if the early church got off on a foot of pretending, like where would the rest of, where would the, rest of the church go? He wanted them to see, guys, you can't, you can't just go and pretend to love people. You really have to love them. And, and God called it out so severely with that example in Acts. It's for all of us to see that, no, there's got to be authenticity in what we do and how we do it. I think what was going on as well for the Roman church when they were saying don't pretend is that word in the Greek pretend is put a mask on. And in Roman theater, a lot of times the way they would change characters is they would just change which mask they had on at a, at a different time. So maybe we could ask this morning, which mask do we have on? Do we have the mask that really is our true identity or are we just putting on our Christian mask? So in between services, I was talking to someone and like, I'm only nice to people on Sunday. That's the mask I have on. I'm like, well, that's a great mask, but why don't you try to like make that mask be who you are forever? Now they were, they were kidding as they were talking to me, but isn't that sometimes the truth that we come in on a Sunday and we're nice to everyone? But boy, by Sunday night when I get home, I may not be nice to everybody. Hey, the football game's on. Leave me alone. I don't want to be talking to you right now. Or, you know, you need something from me, I don't want to give it to you because I'm kind of going into my, my own selfish world, right? What's, 
what's the authenticity we have? What mask do we have on? Is it the real us or is it someone, something we want to just show people? But you know, I also see in here that there's a purity side to this where it says, hate what's wrong and hold tightly to what is good. So what does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to have purity in our lives and in our relationships? So let me start by saying what purity is not, okay? Purity is not asking how close can I get to sin without crossing the line. That's not purity. It's not asking what rating does a movie have to be so that I can watch it and not commit a sin. Or how much alcohol can I drink? How many drinks before it's actually sin? Or how much money can I have and how many things can I buy and how many, things can, how many pleasures can I have before someone would call me greedy? Or maybe in my relationships, if I've got a relationship with the opposite sex, how far can I go with that person before it would be called sexual immorality? Or how much can I bend the truth or spin a story or leave out parts of what really happened before someone would call me a liar? Right? That's not purity. But so often that's what we'll look at as, wow, this person leads a pure and holy life. It's because they do the opposite of all those things. But purity here says, hate what's wrong and hold tightly to what is good. So here's my definition of purity. It's not what can't I do, it's God. Let me be drawn so much to who you are that I don't want to watch the line. I don't want to see how close I can get to the line. I want to be as far away from that as possible. Now this word hate is actually an interesting word. Hate what is wrong. So I want to give you a story. A couple weeks ago, my wife was cooking chicken for, for an outreach. And she asked me if I'd take the chicken out of the freezer here and put it in the Life Center refrigerator to defrost it for her. And I said, sure, no problem. She's like, just remember, put it in some like bins because as the chicken defrosts, it's going to sweat and there's going to be a lot of juice that, that is formed. I'm like, sure. So I got the trays, I got the chicken, I put it in the Life Center, everything's good. You know, it was a little bit hard to fit it in there at first, but like I made it fit and kind of hip-checked the door and got it to shut and it was all good. Next day I come to work and I'm microwave my lunch downstairs and I noticed, hey, the refrigerator doors popped open. Uh, it feels pretty good. Let me just, you know, rearrange some stuff and push it in a little bit more and, and, and it's good. It's only been one overnight. It's not, not that big a deal, right? The next day I come and, and you know, the force of the, the pans and how I put them in there, I popped the door out again. I'm like, oh, now it's starting to smell. But, you know, maybe if I close it and it cools it down, it'll be better, right? No, it didn't get any better. It got worse. It got really bad. So I had to, like, throw the chicken away, right? And I had to clean it, and, and I did the best I could. And um, So anyway, I don't have that great a sense of smell, but even I could smell it. Like, a lot of times I'm congested, so I don't smell well. So I thought I'd taken care of everything. Sprayed the Febreze, wiped up the kitchen, and uh, Bethany comes in that Sunday morning. She's like, Greg, what is that smell? It smells horrible in here. Smell? I don't smell anything. You sure, Bethany? You sure you're not, like, imagining things? You know, this is what it's like sometimes to pretend. Like, I didn't smell it. I really didn't. But she smelled it. And we can be so unaware because we some, we've become so accustomed to the things around us that, all right, she smelled it. But, so that's the pretend. But now here's the hate what's wrong. She was gagging. Like, she couldn't even stay in there. Like, all right, I'll spray for breeze. I'll clean it out again. She was gagging. Didn't bother me in one bit. I thought I had taken care of it. When we hate what's wrong, we should gag over what's wrong. It should be like, I cannot even stand to be here. I'm running out to the fresh air. Versus me, I don't smell anything, right? I, it, this is, it's great. No, hate what's wrong. It should, be pu it should be putrid to us, sin, 
and, and, and whatnot. Purity is, we want the fresh air. We know what fresh air smells like, okay? So that's, that's what it means to be the real you. So why is this such a big deal? Why am I making such a big deal? Paul, why did you say that we need to be authentic and we, we need to live pure lives? Because John 13 tells us this in th verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So did you know that you are all God's marketing plan? All right, God could have spent millions. He could have sold the cattle on a thousand hills to, put, to take a sign out on every billboard across the world. But instead, he invested in you and I. And we are his billboard. How we live our lives and how we love one another is what presents the gospel to many people. So how are we doing, church? Are we loving one another like he's loved us? I can tell you the Greg Vaccaro love, it falls short a lot of times. There's gaps in how I love people. I, I want to do this more. I don't always do it like I want to, though. And maybe you're like me. But, but this is what God has called us. This is why it's such a big deal, because the world is going to know about Jesus based on how his believers love one another. We're God's marketing plan. Love each other as I, as, as I have loved you. So let me say it another way. People may never hear the gospel. They may never hear it. They may only observe how you love your neighbor, how you love your fellow believer. Is that preaching the gospel to people? How well do we represent it? How well do we love other Christians? Luke 6 will tell us this. Hey, if you love someone that loves you back, that's really, really good. But even sinners do that, right? If you know you have God's love in you when you can love your enemy. Ouch, that's, that's harder, right? So, so that's, what, that's why it's such a big deal. That's why we need to understand the real the real you. We need to be authentic. We need to take the masks off. Purity matters. So the real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. Let's move on to real needs. It says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So this first half is using this word devotion. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love is, is what uh, NLT says. You know, when I think about that word devoted, it can mean a lot of different things for me. If, I, if I'm having a cup of coffee and I happen to meet you at the coffee shop, does that mean I'm devoted to you that we had coffee together? No, it just really means that I was having coffee, you were having coffee, and we decided to stop and pause together. But if I'm devoted to you, then, then maybe I'm seeking you out and I'm asking you out for coffee. Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee and can we meet together? Because you know what? You matter to me. I'm, I'm more devoted to you. And, and I'm doing that out of brotherly love. So recently we had a couple of families in, in Shiloh that, that were in, in transition. They were going from being homeless to, to hopefully transitioning to apartment. They were living in transitional housing. And they asked us, hey, would, would we be willing to help them gather the things they need for an apartment? Because honestly, they just had their clothes. So we put the word out, and, and my daughter Emily even put the word out, not just in the church, but also in her mom's group, and we collected a lot of different items so that when we moved them in, it wasn't just their clothes. We had furniture, and we had pots and pans and dishes and beds and dressers. Like, just think about moving into a house, and all you have is clothes. There's a lot of stuff you need. That was us being, meeting real needs. It was us being devoted and trying to help out some families that, that were coming to the church. 
But why do we do that? Were we looking for the accolades? It, it's not meeting real needs if I'm being devoted to you saying, okay, as I'm helping you, uh, would you, would you all notice what I'm doing right now? Would you all take notice and, and just come along? No, we're supposed to give preference to one another in honor. Honor one another above yourselves. Yeah, so if I'm honoring you above myself, that really means that I'm being humble, right? That's what it's talking about when I do that. NLT says we should delight in honoring each other, give preference to one another. You know, I can't do that in and of myself. I can only do that as I, as I get more of Jesus in me. It doesn't come naturally for me to prefer you, right? I mean, how many of us open up the refrigerator at 9 o'clock at night and say, honey, what would you like to eat? No, I'm thinking, I want to get a snack, right? I'm opening up the refrigerator for me. Well, how do I prefer someone else? What does that look like? I really have to be humble to do that. All right, so the real you meets real needs for the right reason in the right way. Let's look at the right reason. And we'll see this in verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy is interesting. It's actually a harsh warning that, that Paul is giving them. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. Again, just like he said, don't just pretend to love people. Now he's saying never be lazy. Maybe because there was some laziness going on. Right now, I remember when my kids were younger and I'd go off to work. Trash goes out on a Tuesday. And you know what? Tuesday night I'd come back and still see all the trash cans at the end of the, at the, end of the driveway empty. And I'd be like, um, didn't you get off the bus today and like walk up this driveway? Like, why would the trash cans still be at the bottom? I'm just, just wondering, oh, because dad, my, my hands were full and God, I was focused on doing my homework. And yeah, right. No, maybe you're just lazy, right? Maybe there's times where we're just physically lazy. So I, I want to give you a definition of laziness. It's doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So sometimes after dinner, Meg will ask me, Greg, can you do the dishes? I'm like, yeah, just let me finish this TV show and then I'll do the dishes, right? And so in my mind, it doesn't need to be done right now. It just needs to be done before the end of the night, right? Boy, the end of the night comes, and now I'm tired, and I don't really feel like doing the dishes, so I just want to go up to bed. Yeah, you know what? I was lazy. Why didn't I just do it right then, get it all done, and then we all can sit down, right? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? But I'm giving you a physical definition of laziness. But Romans 12, 9 through 13 is talking about relationships. So what does it look like to be lazy in our relationships? Have you ever, like, getting, gotten a text message, and you look at that text message, and you're like, yeah, I really need to get back to him, but I don't really know the answer, and I'll get back to him later, and then later never comes because you get a bunch of text messages, and it gets buried on you, and you don't get back to him at all. Yeah, I'm that guy. I apologize to everyone that I've done that to. I'm working on it. But that's me being lazy in my relationships when I don't respond to people right? Or, or another way I can be lazy is, yeah, someone comes in, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm going to talk to you in a minute, and I go away, and I never get back to them. And now they're offended. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go. They're offended. They got to know I'm just busy, right? And I can't talk to everybody. So let them just deal with their own offense. No, the Bible actually says, if I know my brother has something against me, I don't even bring my offering to the altar. I go make it right with my brother. But we can get lazy in our relationships. It's like, no, I don't want to deal with that. I'm, I'm just going to let that relationship go, okay? And I'll deal with other people. No, that's not okay. We can't, we can't 
We can't be lazy in our relationships is what Paul is telling the church here. That's what it means for the right reason. Never be lazy, but work hard. Work hard and serve who? Serve the Lord. See, when we were here yesterday, if people were serving just so other people could see them serving, that's really with the wrong motive. That's not serving for the right reason. But when we serve and we're serving as unto the Lord, that's amazing. And, and this is what I saw at 6 a.m., People were actually happy. No one was barking at anybody else. We were kind of having a good time and having fun. And I'm feeling a little bit bad, like we're making too much noise and laughing too much at 6 in the morning. The, the neighbors across the street, maybe that's why their lights were going on. We were too noisy. But when you're serving the Lord and you're gifting, you're going to do it with passion. You're going to do it with excellence. Right, so, so here's one of those things I know about myself. I love to give. I love to do acts of service for other people because that's my love language. So one of the things that, that I've become really good at is taking our church van and trailer and helping people move. Now, please, please, I'm already good. You don't have to give me more practice. I, I don't want to move everyone. But if you need to be moved, you come and let me know, and I'll find other. No, I want to find other people. But that's what small groups are for. We're there to serve one another, right? And, and that's how we come together as a community, to do it for the right reason. When we see, when we're real people, we see a real need, and we go off and we work it for the right reason. So that's our method. We serve the Lord with excellence and passion. So now I want to move on to, okay, why do we do it? We do that in the right way. What does the right way look like? In verse 12, it says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Someone once said, Your outlook will determine your outcome. Right, let me say that again. Your outlook will determine your outcome. So think about it. Aren't you at your best when you've got the best outlook? Like when you've gotten a full night's sleep, when you're rested, when, when all your things, like you're prepared for the day, maybe you've been prayed up, you've been in the Word of God, like things are going to go good that day. Your outlook determines your outcome. But you know what? When you're tired and you're drained and like a couple things have gone wrong and then someone comes to you like, you know, I'll probably bark at you right now. So just don't talk to me right now because my outlook is not good. I mean, this outcome is not going to be happy. But it tells us, it encourages us, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Why? Those three things, I think, show us that we've got to have an upward focus. So be joyful in hope. It's not just hope like, ah, oh, you know what, I hope something happens. It's a hope that, no, I'm trusting in God and I'm believing in His promises, that His, His Word is true. And that's how we're, we're joyful in hope, right? I can't have joy in the midst of a circumstance that stinks. I can't, let me say that, rephrase that. I can't be happy in the midst of a circumstance that stinks. I can be joyful, though, because happiness is rooted in my circumstance. Joyful is rooted in who God is. I can be joyful because of Him. Patient in affliction, Again, we're talking about relationships. Sometimes our relationships get messy. Sometimes our relationships get like, oh, this is a little bit tough right now. Be patient. That's what God is telling us. Be patient that we can all come together. We'll work it through. We'll get to the other side. You know, relationships grow deeper after you've resolved conflict. When you stop in the middle of conflict resolution, that's when the relationship usually ends. You've you got to press through to the other side. That's the patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Prayer is our resource that we so often forget is there. Like we might pray once for a, search, for a situation, right? And, and why do we stop at once? 
Prayer should be there all the time. God, help me. Help me understand what, this word, what your word is saying. Help me apply it to my life. So that's the faithful in prayer. Talk is good, but we need to pray consistently, right? So that's the upward focus. Now there's an outward focus. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Shiloh is a very outward-focused church. We are doing so many things for the community, but you know what? Even though we're doing things as a church, the church comes together as individuals. It's great for us to be outwardly focused together, but am I outwardly focused? Are you outwardly focused? Right? God doesn't call me just to be outwardly focused when I'm here serving, serving at the church. He calls, calls me to do that no, no matter where I am, when I'm in my neighborhood, when I'm in my home, when I'm at school, when I'm at work, right? Contributing to the needs of others. That's what God would have me do. And you know, if I, if I really want to measure how well am I contributing to the needs of others, well, what, what actions am I taking? Is my wallet ever coming out of my pocket or am I always looking for the church to bless someone, right? I can pull my own wallet out and use my resources to help my neighbor. I don't have to come to the church. That's what it means for me to be outwardly focused, and I do that first by having an upward focus. So that's, that's the real me or the real you meeting real needs for the right reason in the right way. So let me, let me wrap this up and summarize to today. Maybe today's the first day that you heard, okay, for you to be the real you, it starts with your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't be authentic until God shows me and reveals to me that I've got certain masks on. I don't, I don't recognize it. It's like I didn't recognize the chicken smell when it went bad. I don't recognize sometimes when I have a mask on. But as I start this relationship with Jesus Christ, he starts to show me, hey, Greg, you know, there's some things you're doing. You're just pretending. You're not really doing it for the right reason. And, and I, I have to give that to him and say, Lord, would you, would you forgive me in this that I'm not being real? I'm putting a mask on. Help me, help me be who you've called me to be, God. We talked about authenticity. We also talked about purity. Am I the kind of person that's looking for how close I can get to the line and calling that being pure? Or am I saying, God, help me be so far away from me because I only want eyes for you, God. I don't want eyes for how close I can be away from you. I only want eyes on who you are. That's being the real you. Meeting real needs. Am I devoted to others or do I have no time for others? Right? If I have no time, I'm doing something wrong. I need to build more margin in my life. Otherwise, how am I going to meet the real needs? I've got to be able to see them, but I have to have time to do them. And then when I do them, what attitude am I doing them with? Am I, am I humble or am I hoping someone's going to take notice and be like, wow, look at Greg. Do you see what he did there? Do you see what he did there and there and there? No, I, I want to meet real needs, but I want to do it with the right motive. And I want to do it for the right reason, right? In relationships, are we lazy? Maybe that texting thing, you're like me. Yeah, let's agree together. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to try harder to say, I'll get back to you tonight. Or, or make some comments so we don't leave, we don't leave people hanging. Or, or if we know there's an issue in another brother or sister that we need to go make right, we don't delay. Why should we delay? Go to them. Make it right. That's, what, that's what's biblical. That's what God would have us do. In the right way, the most powerful statement about what Christianity is, is Christians loving Christians and Christians living like Christians. That's the most powerful statement we could ever do. We are God's billboard. We can only love others in the right way if we have an upward focus and we gather strength from the God and then God is going to give us that outward focus. But he says, be patient with others. 
right? Your strength comes from him. Relationships can get messy. We need to be patient with each other. We need to trust God. So would you stand with me as we close in prayer this morning? And I'd like to ask you this question. A lot of times my wife and I will, will do parenting classes in the summer. And, and when new parents kind of hear a lot of information, like we've heard a lot of information today, they're like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. And here's the advice that we give them. You know what? Pick one area with your child and focus on just that one area until they get that right. And then work on something else. Right? So this morning I'd like to ask you, okay, which one of these do you personally feel like, ugh, this is the one. I, I know it's the one. You can't pick all four. We covered a lot of territory about being the real you, meeting the real needs for the right reason in the right way. But which one is most important right now? We're going to ask God together. Holy Spirit, would you show us what's the area that you want to work on in us? God, would you make our hearts tender towards you today that we would receive your love, Father, in a different way. We, we'd be open to what you have to say, God. We'd be tender in our hearts to, to be transformed as we look into your word and re, re, we renew our mind. Father, I ask for changed hearts as a byproduct of this, this message and, and looking into your words, God, that we wouldn't be satisfied with who we are. But Lord, by your spirit, show us the area that you want us to focus on. And Lord, we bring that area to you now. Would you, if you've got an area in mind, would you just raise your hands in an open open palm to the Lord. Say, God, here we are. Would you use us? Father, we want to be transformed by you. We want to be changed. We're not, we're not happy where we are, but we need your strength. We need your, we need your abilities, God. It's not about our hard work, God. It's about a transformation that comes about when we renew our minds. So, Lord, would you do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'd love to invite you downstairs for a, a pasta bar. If you would like prayer for anything, please feel free to come forward as well and have a great day. God bless.